Hello, welcome to the Sean Still Personal Injury Teleconference. Today's special guest is the world's foremost expert on chiropractic billing and codes, Sam Collins. As always, you're encouraged to press the number one during the call to ask Mr. Still a question. Mr. Still, your call is now live. This is great. Doctors, welcome aboard. Uh, again, Shane, thanks for your help in the introduction, making this uh, technology work we got. Two of us, Sam, not just one lawyer, but two. We, we figured a guy like you needs two lawyers at least. And that's uh, Alex uh, Eisner, my colleague, my close hey, associate, my, and our chief litigator. But, Sam, you, we've, we've offered uh, a, a program that the doctors are wild about. This is the highest turnout of RSVPs we've ever had before. So uh, it, it might have been the quality of the e-flyer that we sent out, or it might be you, <laughs> Sam. But, uh, well, it, it, look, I, I often people wonder why. How come so many people come to your seminar? Here's the thing, Sean. At the end of the day, we're running a business, and we got to get paid for it. So when you're talking about getting paid in money, I think that's why people come in, and no one's going to dislike getting paid. Well, I think that's I, I think that's fundamental. If we don't have a healthy chiropractic profession, uh, Alex and I are going to be struggling with ten cups on the you know on the freeway off ramp. So we want healthy happy, successful chiropractors. That's why right now I'm teaching at all three colleges. Just picked up Life West with Dan Murphy. We're back in love again. And not that we were out, but it, we, we reconnected again. So there's a lot of young uh, doctors that are eager, smart, ready to go. They're realistic. They know they got to work hard for five years just to get anywhere. Uh, they're in for the commitment. They have strong philosophy. Doctors who are listening to this, it, it, you know, you've got a lot of buyers out there. Uh, there's actually fewer chiropractors practicing in California than there was 10 years ago. And that tells me with, with our schools down with students, they're looking for opportunities. So I just throw that out there, Sam. But I want to talk about PI and what your newest thought charts. 2020, uh, PI is, uh, you know, uh, a, a, the best area and yet a tough area. And our job is to try to streamline the process so doctors can get paid. You've got some insights that everybody needs. Right. Well, I'll start with personal injury is still the last bastion. I think every doctor listening to this is the only insurer that will actually pay what is the fair and reasonable fee. Because most of us belong to all of these plans, whether it's United Healthcare or ASH or any of these things, whether it's this managed care that just really cut our bill. So the reason I think doctors would emphasize personal injury is that it just simply pays you the best money. The key is having good claims claims that are payable, but also understanding what are we going to get paid for. And this is the part that I make an emphasis to. The one thing I've learned about personal injury is doctors often code in a way that doesn't really relate to the accident itself. In other words, we cannot determine that the injury was caused by the accident. So the first thing, and I preface this by saying the perfect diagnosis, well, the perfect diagnosis gives me the diagnosis that this injury caused. So if you think of it, an auto accident is a trauma. Therefore, there's going to be trauma codes. The one area that we have to be careful, and insurance companies are pretty smart, if you diagnose headache, the insurance company will say, well, wait a minute, this patient has had headaches in the past. How do we know this is just not one of their run-of-the-mill ones? So one of the first areas I go with is always use the code that relates specifically to the trauma when it's available. So by example, I would prefer to see a doctor using the codes G44309, G44319, or G44329. And what are those codes for? 
post-traumatic headaches. In other words, it's directly relating this headache was due to the trauma. The 309 is an unspecified, not indicating whether it's acute or chronic, because G44319 is acute and G43329 is chronic. That's a big issue. I, I take this stuff very seriously. I see, first of all, chiropractors nowadays are doing a better job coding than medical doctors. I don't know if you know that, Sam. I, really well, I think so. Medical, medical doctors just throw pain at everything. Well, not only that, they don't specify, and they don't even offer ICD-10 codes. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's rather bizarre. So they're, they're skating freely right now. Chiropractors have a much higher duty. Uh, and as such, our team, our chiropractors are ready and willing to do that. But we got to get refined. I'd like to agree with Sam that uh, some out of uh, 60,000 ICD-10 codes, there's probably 200 that are really important that you've got to know about. Now, Sam, I want to mention something. This this entire conference for 30 minutes is recorded, and you're, it's available on our website, seansteel.com. And so we got a lot of folks that you know might have missed a little bit. You're welcome to listen to it. Kind of our I pod uh, broadcast, Alex is supposed to be doing <clears throat> something along that line, so it's a, a, an ongoing regular feature. And right now, if you don't have a chance, if you know, you you got a question, email me, seansteel at seansteel.com. i got several doctors that just contacted me, and they want to get in the conference, as John is opening the door to them right now. But in the meanwhile, if you got a question, seansteel at seansteel.com. I like the headache stuff very much. It's a, it's a huge area that's un, unappreciated. You've got uh, several uh, patients that come in with chronic problems that last three weeks or longer. What do you do with those, uh, Sam, and how do you, how do you, how do you well, describe well, well, here's the first thing. So I'm just saying just bring up the diagnosis that indicates trauma. Realize that patients can have lots of issues. What if a person is coming in with a little dizziness, uh, with headaches? I'm now concerned, does the patient have some post-concussion syndrome? That's a little bit more specific because, you know, realize you don't have to hit your head for a concussion. So realize that would be something to look at depending on the symptomatology. And I would recommend doctors may want to start incorporating what's called the ACE form or acute concussion evaluation form. And what that form allows you to do, it's a standardized form used in the medical profession that goes through a series of questions and protocols to determine whether or not the patient has suffered a concussion. So that's something to think of. The other factors are, don't forget all the injuries are probably going to be sprains and strains. So obviously, a sprain strain has limitations. I mean, if you sprain something, the body's own healing process over a period of time is going to make it better. But here's the problem. If you break a bone and don't set it, yes, it's going to heal, but it's going to be very dysfunctional. So the role of chiropractic is to deal with these sprains and strains, hoping to get them well faster, but also to get them to heal properly so there's less residual. So I would inform every doctor, do not be afraid of strains and sprains. They're part of what's occurred. But what you have to bear in mind, it's not just a sprain and strain. Think of how many people that have been involved in a car accident, they have a pretty severe whiplash. So what do they have along with that? Well, they've got whiplash, S134, you know, XXA for the sprain. Then there's probably some strain in there, the S161 code. But then along with that, do they not have some other symptoms and things that are going with it? How often do people complain of neck pain radiating to their arm or shoulder? Now we've got to have, well, maybe there's some radiculopathy here. Strain, sprain by itself tells me what went on in the neck, but if there's radiation, now I've got to think radiculopathy. On top of that, think of when you take an x-ray of most Medicare patients. Very seldom are you going to see, oh, a nice 
cervical lordosis, but you're probably going to see it reversed or maybe just at least flattened. And there's codes for that as well. In other words, what we're trying to do is to make sure we're giving the best picture of what's going on. So this person may have post-traumatic headaches, a sprain and strain of the neck, radiculopathy, but along with that, maybe they have some cervical kyphosis. That's going to be your M40 codes. That's indicating that that curvature now, being it's not normal, it's going to take longer. One thing insurances do pay attention to is the complications and the comorbidities that impede the patient's recovery. So if you think of it, Sean, if you take a 15-year-old in a car with a 70-year-old, they both have the same impact. Why does that 15-year-old bounce back so quickly, but the 70-year-old's a mess for months or maybe even close to a year? Well, they have lots of other underlying conditions. So every time there's an underlying comorbidity or complication, the, gene- the generic rule for that is that it's about one and a half to two more times the care. Now, they don't multiply by having multiple complications, but you could assume probably twice. So that eight weeks now jumps to 16 or 20. So in other words, I want doctors to start to think of, does my code really describe what's going on? If I just stay sprain and strain, I think, well, okay, that's, you know, four to six weeks. But if you throw on top of that kyphosis, along with radiculopathy, well, now everything kind of changes there. And realize that goes to every part of the spine. In addition, if you were to get MRIs of patients with moderate to severe impacts, I would bet you will often find some bulging of the disc. It's not something that's exceptionally severe, but let's face it, even a three or four millimeter bulge is the reason why this sprain strain is not getting better in six or eight weeks. Why is it taking 12 or 18? And that's usually our biggest fight. Why are we treating the patient so long? And so don't be afraid that, sure, you're going to do plain film x-rays, but if you're suspicious of a disc, I would recommend getting an MRI because that's going to explain why you're not getting this patient better in a short term. And again, that fits to every area. Where doctors have to be concerned is they're going to look at your code and go, oh, okay, based on that diagnosis, the patient should be better in six weeks. Or are they seeing your diagnosis and going, oh, okay, this is going to take 12 weeks or 18 weeks. That makes a big, big difference of you not fighting every week in and week out with the insurance saying your bill is too high or too many visits. Sam, I, I gotta, I've been getting a lot of questions lately about uh, about when you have uh, an MRI that's showing, uh, like you said, a small disc bulge or, or some potentially pre-existing uh, injuries, and then you've got a trauma. I've had a couple of questions lately from chiropractors asking on a PI case how best to tie these things together that, you know, they're starting to feel like the insurance company is going to look at it and go, well, that was probably pre-existing. How can we, how can I bill this or, or, or chart this so that it looks <clears throat> and, and reacts like a, a PI case or it, it, it reads like a PI case? Um, well, well, think of any it. Advice if on a that? Per- Oh, yeah. If you have a disc bulge, and let's say on the MRI or x-ray, it looks like it's probably been there a while. Maybe there's some little bit of calcification. Well, the accident didn't cause it, but when you superimpose that accident on top, that simple sprain strain is no longer that. You've now irritated that disc. So here's the thing I can't do. I cannot apportion the care I need to give this patient. So if they have a pre-existing condition, Just because they have it doesn't mean they weren't injured and you're not responsible. So if you think of it, I would take the same approach. If you have a five-year-old fall on the ground, nothing happens. 
But when you have a 70-year-old fall and break their hip, does that mean, oh, I'm not going to pay for the hip break because they're 70? No. That's where it ties in. You have to show that regardless of it being, we can't fully say was it the accident or not, but with that being there, it's certainly going to complicate the ability for this to recover and for the changes. And this is where we get a lot of residual. Another thing I will recommend for many doctors, if you have a patient involved in a moderate and certainly even a severe impact, not only would I recommend an MRI, but when you do your x-ray films, I would suggest doing a full series because I want to see a flexion extension series. When you do a flexion extension, all of a sudden now you probably are going to begin to see some translation, which means there's ligament laxity. Ligament laxity is the reason many people after an accident have pain for such a long period after the accident. So in other words, the residual. So here would be the example. This patient is treated, I don't know, 12 to 18 weeks. We've got them fairly stable. You know, they're not perfect, but, you know, they're not getting any better or worse. We kind of just plateaued. At that point, I'm going to call the care I'm giving sequelae, no longer active, sequelae. So, for instance, in the cervical spine, S134XXS, I'm indicating there's a residual problem. What is that residual problem? Well, for that would be M2425, which is, or M2428, which is disorder of ligament, which would be this ligament laxity, which means now this joint is not stable. When you have an unstable joint, it's prone to aggravations. Now, this is where I take my attorneys come into place. This is where Sean and you now can take that and say, hey, because of this, the residual problem here is going to be significant because this now is going to be the so-called trick back. Every time he does something exaggerated or moves too quickly, this thing is going to flare up. That is worth something. This is something, that, and it's worth something because this patient is absolutely going to need future care. But without that flexion extension x-ray, you have no idea that it has that issue. So lots you're of stuff, spinal instability. You're giving me arguments to, 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 to when I'm, for when I'm, I'm negotiating the case. That's, that's what you're doing. I'm saying, you know, if I want to get paid in full, I have to show that there's a significant problem. I mean, a patient often might have a spondylolisthesis, which is where the vertebra is shifted. Well, maybe the accident didn't cause it. It might have been pre-existing. But I'll tell you what, that person is going to have a way worse sprain than would be a person that doesn't have that. And that's where those all come into play, that there's some looking at it doesn't matter. If a 90-year-old in an accident is going to be worse and you're going to pay more because they were 90. You can't just say, well, I'm going to pay it like a 5-year-old. We have to take each case on its own. And I always say give the diagnosis a flavor where when I read it, I know exactly what's going on with the patient. If I see sprain strain by itself, as a chiropractor, I look at that and go, okay, Maybe as little as two weeks, maybe for six weeks. That's it. Now, severity, if it's a grade three, could be a little bit more. Right. Yeah, I I seldom see the grades of the severity, and I think that's terribly important. In fact, I think we need to write about that because what what we get, we get the sprain strain. The insurance companies, and basically it's, it's the artificial intelligence that lowers the value of cases when they simply look at the codes that the chiropractor provides. Uh, you're giving us the macro. Sprain screens the macro. I'm looking, and you're looking also for the micro. What specific, how severe is that sprain, uh, and what well, body part is it? You can't say cervical. What sprain. body part is it? Exactly. Right. Give me, give me. You know, now the diagnosis doesn't include grading, but that better be in your notes because if you don't state it, they're going to assume grade one or two. In right. addition, though, think of all the things. How many patients have scoliosis? 
Now, is that pre-existing? Of course it is. But a back that has scoliosis, that sprain is going to be a lot different from a person that doesn't have that. And so, again, all these factors, given a picture, and I use the term, give me a Rembrandt diagnosis. Give me something that I don't want to describe it just as a sprain strain. Tell me the whole picture. Now, be careful. Notice I didn't bring up muscle spasm or myalgia. That's a throwaway. A sprain includes that. Spasm is included, but I want the things that you don't associate. Sprain already includes pain. It includes spasm. I want the things that aren't there, the scoliosis, the spondylosis, the radiculopathy, those type of factors that are part of it. The other thing is is that doctors do have to look beyond diagnosis and really look and say, okay, how much care does this take? Is there other factors that cause this? But then looking at the residual, after six or eight weeks, that diagnosis may be changing because maybe now this condition, the sprain strain is gone, but we're dealing with a lot of leftover myalgia. That's where that comes into play. That's the chronic nature. Now, the other issue is that one of the cheapest diagnostic tools chiropractors have dominated for 100 years now is x-rays. Uh, and oftentimes I'll see in a great report, a good report, where there's flattened cervical uh, 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 lordosis or a reverse lordosis. That is, sounds golden, but I never see it in the diagnosis itself. It's buried up there in the x-ray report. Uh, I think well, that, here's what know, I want doctors that's, to that's, think of. That, that's, that's objective evidence. That's, that's like uh, looking at a wound or, or, or a picture of a scar. That's fantastic. But we've got to talk about it, Sam. No, you're exactly right. Here's the problem. If there's something positive on the x-ray, it needs to be diagnosed. Because let's say the person has a reversal or a kyphosis in the cervical spine secondary to the accident. Okay, then I'm going to code for cervical spine M4012. That immediately tells them there's a reversal of the curvature. Because if I don't state it, it doesn't exist. And I want doctors to think of it this way. When you do an MRI for a patient, you generally aren't going to read every little page of that MRI. You're going to flip to the conclusion. So think of that's what insurance companies do. All that stuff you write in a report, except for some things on the patient's disability, they don't care. You know why? Because if it was important in the report you wrote, there would be a diagnosis. So non-diagnosis means it doesn't exist regardless of what you've written. So if you've written something that has a value, it needs to be there. Now, I tell you what, John, one thing I, I want to, I don't want to get too stuck just on diagnosis, because I know you have a list right. that I provided to you we can send. The other area beyond that is, is doctors understanding, and this is something that I want to really hit on, the amount of codes you're billing per visit, the type of plans you're providing for these patients, because the pushback that I'm getting is that they're coming back and saying, hey, we're using Fair Health Consumer or some other source to say your fees are too high. And one of the things doctors have to do is to start to really evaluate, do my fees fit my region? Do they make sense? Am I ridiculously high? The other part I'm frustrated with, doctors often will bill one code way above what would be normal, but another code way below. So by example, 98940 has a relative value of 0.8. Now, all that means is that's the value as it relates to another code. So, by example, 98941 has a value of 1.15. So, if one code is 1.8 and the other is 1.15, that simply means the code that's 1.15 is about 35% higher, a third higher. So, 
here's what I find interesting. I've got doctors billing for a 98940, $40, a 98941 at $50, and a $42 at $60, which makes no sense because they're about a third difference. So I want to start thinking along the lines of not to say raise your rates at all, but just start to say, do my rates make sense? So by example, based on relative values, if my fee for a 98940 is $50, my fee for a 41 should be about 70 to 75 The same would apply where doctors get, and this is my pet peeve, because one of the things that I emphasize is that obviously part of the care plan has to be active. You want patients moving. Getting No one's just saying, hey, lay on the table, massage you, and you're better. You've got to rehabilitate. Rehabilitation, for the most part, is exercise or therapeutic activities. So by example, I want every doctor in here to think for a second, what do you charge for a 98940? I want you to tell me what you charge for a 40. And I bet many of you are saying, oh, Sam, I charge 40, 50, 60, whatever. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you, what do you charge for exercise? And here's where it should be. Your exercise price should roughly be 10% higher than your charge for a 98940. And what I find often is the doctor is billing $60 for an adjustment and 30 for exercise. I'm like, that makes no sense. Those do not have the proper value. So go through your codes. Here's what's interesting to me. Doctors bill about 8 to 10 codes maximum, exams, adjustments, and therapies. I would suggest learning and understanding the value of those codes and how to set a proper fee schedule to make sure your fees fit within so no one can say your fees are too high or too low. Do some other research for in your area using Fair Health Consumer, but also thinking, does my visit just seem too expensive? If you're billing $300 a visit, too expensive. I mean, would you pay $300 for a single visit? Now, I'm going to take out a visit with an exam and x-ray because we know the cost of that. I'm just talking to treatment. If you're doing two to three services per visit, your billing should be somewhere between 100 to 150 max. When you get above that, people start to go, ooh, that's a little too high. And this is why they often just want to cut chiropractic bills because we're billing in fantasy land. Keep it fair. Keep it reasonable. Keep it defensible. And the thing I would do to defend it, and I'll give an example. I had an office that was billing 98941 at $75, which I would say, okay, that's fair. They were paying it. This was uh, AAA. But then he was billing for exercise at $30. And I thought, you're literally losing $35 per visit because you didn't understand the value of that code. So instead of billing a lot of codes, for it, bill me two or three at the proper price. You'll bill within the guidelines. You'll have the services done. You won't have to argue it's over. Because think of how many of you deal with Bills being cut, and Sean, I know you hear this all the time, that doctor's fee is too high or the visits are too expensive. Just, just about every single time. Sam, on that note, when you're, when you're doing adjustments and you're doing ex- exercise uh, in, in a form of a chiropractic physical therapy, uh, you're going to get a pretty large bill at the end of the day. Uh, how often should doctors contemplate doing that throughout the entire course of treatment, near the end of treatment, intermittently? What is your proposal? Because what well, I'm looking what I for is he, is he, I'm looking for a very efficient way to get paid. I don't want to. I don't want any pioneers. I want mainstream uh, approaches yeah. that maximize. So, you think of it when someone comes in, they're really hurting. You're going to do a lot more at the beginning. So your first 
few weeks of visits are probably going to be much more expensive than the ones because you might be doing an adjustment plus two or three things on that patient. Okay. And units. Now, as that patient transitions to the middle of care, now you might just be doing an adjustment plus two units of exercise and then maybe towards the end of care, just an adjustment. So if you do the average fee over 30 visits, the average fee may be 120 to 150 with the initial visits being literally $200. But the ones towards the end might be an adjustment only at 75. And when you add them all together per visit, now you go within a reasonable ratio. Because here's what carriers are looking at. Does this person become an outlier? And it doesn't take long to figure that out. Is this person billing everybody six or $7,000 for every case? Some cases may be worth that, I will certainly say. But should that be the average? Of course not. I mean, think of it. If you sprain your ankle... Is that going to take 20 weeks to get better and $5,000, or do you just tape and put ice on it and rest a few weeks? Now, granted, it's a little less complicated, but I want you to remember that's how they're looking, going, why is it that going to a chiropractor takes longer? Well, give me the reasons, all the complications. Patients aggravate the darn thing. They're not following through with everything we're supposed to do. And I will go to say, please take the time to look and give your fee schedule an overhaul. One of the things I emphasize, Sean, and I know you, you come to a lot of my seminars. In fact, I, I know I'm going to see you this weekend. At all of our seminars in our PI section, and overall, I go over relative values. And I'm not trying to tell anyone to raise a rate or necessarily lower, but start to understand the value of one code to the other so you have a fee schedule that literally makes sense and you don't guess at what you're doing, you actually have things that fit within some parameters that we can defend. Well, ultimately, Sam, uh, I also am a strong component, and I know that you are, that we really want to get our patients moving and active, uh, not, not, doing, not merely doing home exercise. That should be recommended in the very first uh, portion of, of every personal injury case. There needs to be a home exercise component and at least every 30 days, that patient needs to be retrained. And what is the code for that? And what's a reasonable charge? Well, here's, here's the thing. Think of how many times you're going to spend with the patient going over activities of daily living. The initial just to avoid injuring themselves. How to sleep. How to lay on their side. Put a pillow between your knees. How you want the pillow under your neck. How are you going to sit at a desk if you're at a desk? Should your feet be up? What's the height of the monitor? How should you get in and out of a chair? How much time should you spend? So you can see I'm going through this litany to say, most doctors do that, and that's easily going to take 15 minutes or more. The code for that is 97535, which is the code for going over with the patient activities of daily living, probably giving them some home exercise and stretches. So maybe that's the first protocol, but then after two weeks or three weeks, you're now switching that because you're giving them more home things to do. You're giving them some, beyond just the exercise you're doing at home, the things we're doing in the office to stretch and teach. Again, 97535. By the way, 97535, the value of that code is .93. So that means it's about 10% higher than the adjustment code that's worth .8. So it also shows a protocol that you're giving the patient the ability to be independent, not dependent. I, I think that is a very positive in all PI cases because uh, I've never been to an arbitration or trial where some judge is not going to say, well, you know, what did you teach the patient to do to take care of themselves? Because if the patient's completely dependent on chiropractic care and doesn't have any knowledge of how to take care of themselves, it looks unprofessional. 
And I think that's that's why uh, an active program of, of home exercise is crucial. Now, there's another component, and we'll conclude with this, about getting the patient active exercise inside the office. What do you what do you suggest? How, how should that look in a model case? Well, here's the thing: if you look at physical therapy, physical therapy in the 70s and 80s was lay on your back, do nothing. And, of course, chiropractic has always encouraged active, getting the patient moving. It's part of the core of chiropractic. We've lost sight of that because of the payment for massage and people liked it. Now that massage is being a problem, here's how you rehabilitate people. No one's going to go, oh, what you're going to do is simply sit down. You've got to get them moving. So when the patient comes in, you're going to start with a simple exercise protocol. Maybe you need to start with just some aerobic conditioning. Then we're going to move to probably working some specific stretches and flexibility to break up adhesions, get the joint moving better. But then we've got to start thinking about how do I restore the core strength. So you're going to put the patient through a progressive resistance protocol that starts very small, that increases more, with the idea being we're looking to get these patients rehabilitated to their pre-injury level. That's not going to happen just by massaging and doing passive care, but being very active. And so the active care part means exercise, 97110, or probably would fit more as the therapeutic activities because it's more functional and tailor-made to the patient. And those are codes, I bet everyone listening, you never have a problem getting paid for exercise, but they fight you tooth and nail for passive massages. So why are we fighting so hard for a massage? One, it doesn't pay well. It has to be a separate area. You've got to fight for necessity. Focus on exercise. When you go to a PT facility, no one's in there laying around. They're actively working out. Now, I'm not saying turn into 24-hour fitness, but what's wrong with some TheraBands, a big gym ball, to focus in on the area of that patient that you spend 15 or 20 minutes with? Oh, and by the way, under California law, does the doctor have to do it? No, the doctor prescribes it for a staff person under direct supervision with making sure the patient's doing the exercises in the proper way, with the proper posture. And I'll tell you what, John, I want the patients to do more at home, but what I have found is when you give someone stuff to do at home alone, they have a tendency to not do it. So I want to make sure the doctor's spending time one-on-one because otherwise the exercise is not working because they're simply not doing it. So I want to make sure they're doing it. This is, And if they do it at home, Sam, they're more, I mean, if they do it at the office, the odds of them doing it at home properly, having been trained and then retrained every time they see the chiropractor, is much, much higher. And then the patient really becomes a lifetime chiropractic patient because they believe that chiropractors work, that there's a lot of self-help that they can learn from the chiropractor. It's not just a uh, one-shot only experience. Yeah, well, the one thing chiropractors have to be proud of, patients come in and they feel better when they leave. That is very unique. There's very few practitioners that, that the patient can leave from that visit and literally feel better. So I want doctors to push that issue. It's the adjustment in active care more than anything. Now, passive care is fine. During the initial stages, patients really locked up. I get it. But at some point, you've got to get them moving again. All right. Very, no, this, is, this is all terribly important and appreciative. Sam, you're going to be doing a seminar. Uh, what, what is your schedule in the next uh, 30 days? Well, in the next 30 days, we're going to be a lot of places. Actually, this weekend, we're going to be in San Jose. we got, a, obviously, a very special um, chiropractic part for that. Uh, or, excuse me, Thursday, we're going to be in Long Beach. I'm jumping ahead. 
uh, Thursday in Long Beach, uh, Saturday in San Jose. Uh, the following week we'll be in Pasadena, the week after that in San Diego. So if you're somewhere in this state, you can come see us because we're going to be in northern and southern California. What I will tell you is we're going to be able to give you an update that gets your PI together, but also little things. I know this is, you know, PI, but Docs, remember, there's been things that have changed, United Healthcare, GP Modifier, and all those things. We cover all of that. Our goal is we have to keep you practicing. We've got to keep you going, or you won't need our continuing education seminars. Remember, our seminars cover the required hours. You have to have ethical billing and coding. Come to ours because we give you the update. By the way, that list I talked about, I'm going to give you an over 700, 700 codes, 200 of which are specific to personal injury and specific to each carrier. So we want to make sure you have the best available information so that you can continue your office to thrive. Well, I have the great honor of showing up on many of your seminars, Sam, and it's a pleasure because I'm meeting probably the hardest working doctors, but not only the hardest working, the most successful doctors, doctors that know how to code tend to have a much better uh, practice and, and tend to get paid better. Uh, so we see that all the time. How, to get, how does one get a hold of you, Sam? Well, they can get a hold of me. My email um, is sam at hjross, so h-j-r-o-s-s network.com. You can also go to our website, and I'm going to highly recommend go to the H.J. Ross Company website. It's H.J. Ross Company, company spelled in full, dot com. Take a look. We have a news section there that updates weekly. We actually are going to have an app coming up that once you download the app, it will send you push notifications. So, by example, all the stuff that has happened with Medicare recently, all the stuff with United Healthcare, what's going on there, all the ASH issues, we have in the news section there. So you can always look there, but you can always go and take a look. The upcoming programs are there for you and for to make sure that you're fortified and shot. I always appreciate that you come because it adds a layer that doctors can make sure all aspects of their practice are functioning well. But I always say PI should be a good chunk because it's the one place that who doesn't want a personal injury claim when billing $2,500 to $3,000 is not unusual? What if you just get 10 of those a month? That's a pretty good practice. It's it's a great and healthy practice, and uh, a lot more we can discuss, Sam. We do often. Uh, the rules keep changing. The, the codes keep changing. The insurance companies keep altering. Uh, the barriers are, are are that's what 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 keeps us busy. And if we're on top of it, we have a duty to share it with our doctors. We want the chiropractic profession to remain strong. Alex, thanks for joining us. Sam, uh, you're you're a star. And remember, you'll find this uh, entire recording online. Uh, shortly at SeanSteel.com. Got any questions about PI, uh, contact Sam or me. If you got questions about workers' comp, never call me. Just don't do <laughs> you got to contact me for that one, Sean. <laughs> All right. Very good, doctors. We'll see you again. Thank you. Thank you, Sean.